understandably, you're a small company and you're moving very quickly. But I think you just need a mechanism where at least once a month, you're looking at your top 20% of your SKUs and you're really scrutinizing, okay, when we're going to look back at our sales, was that fully optimized or were we even lucky? Did all of a sudden one of our items get on slick deals or something that we can't repeat? And maybe you can't do all 100% of your SKUs. Like you said, they have thousands of SKUs, but just start with that 80-20 rule. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at Independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. The foundation of retail business relies on having access to a good quality data. Without the right data, retailers make uninformed decisions such as raising their prices or targeting expensive channels that are likely to fire back. The problem is much worse when they might have multiple systems as getting true insights from this architecture is much harder. So what do retailers need to do to operate in a hybrid environment where the traditional methods of running retail business is like likely to fall short? In today's episode, our guest, Kathy Aronson, shares her insights on centralizing data for retail companies. She talks about why data sharing is critical for retail channel partners and the retailers need to think beyond the four walls of retail. Finally, she discusses why retail brands lose their market share when they don't make decisions based on data. Let me introduce Kathy to you. Kathy Aronson is an independent e-commerce consultant who has first-hand knowledge and advice on how to grow brands with e-commerce. She is the founder and principal of Digital Luminary, a company specializing in omni-channel retailers, Amazon Marketplace, and direct-to-consumer strategies. Kathy is a retail veteran with 25 years of experience working with well-known brands such as Macy's, Ralph Lauren, Pottery Barn, Gap, Calvin Klein, Fragrances, Sharper Image, FAO Shorts, Panera Bread, and Signature Sleep Mattresses. As a former leader driving digital transformation at Doral Home, Kathy grew e-commerce sales to over half a billion dollar in annual sales over six years while maintaining brick and mortar sales. Kathy was nominated by the retail industry as a 2018 Shop Talk Catalyst of Change and is a founding member of the Digital Shelf Institute Executive Forum. Kathy has a proven record with many product categories including cosmetics, furniture, apparel, luggage, and toys. Kathy Aronson guides businesses in establishing a scalable digital presence, a necessity for brands to thrive and compete in the market today. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Kathy, welcome to the show. Hey, Sam, it's so exciting to be here. I am super excited as well because whenever you hear these e-commerce stories, they are always fascinating. There are always going to be so many things that we can learn from these stories. So I 
am super interested in in those before we start if my listeners might not know you do you want to kick things off with your introduction and what you are focusing on these days sure thanks sam well i'm excited to be here with your listeners i am talking to you today from beautiful southern california awesome and my background yeah i'm pretty lucky and my background has always been in retail brands and now digital transformation So I've had a very long career, mostly in the San Francisco Bay Area, and have been fortunate enough to kind of be on the front line of a lot of fun technologies that influence consumer shopping behaviors today. So it's been a really exciting ride. And I'd say over the last 10 years, I've really transformed from being a retail executive and brand executive to really transforming into a digital transformation expert, helping brands and retailers just kind of understand what's going on in the digital space and and how that they can actually optimize their business and, and understand it a little bit better. Of course, and those are massive words. Obviously, everybody is trying to get there, but it's very, very, very hard. I'm pretty sure you can relate with that in general, right? So obviously, we are going to unpack a lot of things from that conversation. But before we do that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest, and that is going to be your perspective on business growth, Kathy. Yes. My perspective on business growth is looking at profitability first. And it may seem counterintuitive because in our industry, people tend to focus on top line or bottom line. But the reason you need to really understand your business and the profitability of each product that you sell is because those margins are going to be what you're going to be able to use to invest in the technologies and the expertise and the processes and workflows and so on that are going to enable your organization to be ready for the future. So growth is critical and that's everyone's goal. But so many companies focus on growth at all costs. And what they lose in translation is they make a lot of gunshot investments across the organization based on different executive leaders in their silos. And then they wonder why it doesn't all fit together. So I think one, you need to understand just the profitability of your products today. And then where you can leverage some of that margin to make a cohesive strategic roadmap towards the digital investments you need to make to be ready for the future. So growth to me is very much tied to profitability. You've got to have profitable growth. Yeah, could not agree more. And in fact, I think you have a very interesting layer there when you talk about profitability. You are really talking about unit economics and really deep understanding of that because that is going to drive everything for you And in my experience, most businesses just don't understand. Now, I will tell you my story where I struggle personally when I am doing these things, okay? So you are always going to have two different perspectives, okay? You have the finance perspective. You also have the e-commerce perspective. And there's always going to be, and by the way, supply chain is also there, uh, okay? And, And these perspectives are typically, they have a little conflict overall when you look at the Uh, system architecture, especially when you look at many different systems in your architecture, and there's not just one system that can do it all, right? It's very, very, very hard. Even if you have that, it's probably not going to be the most efficient. So you probably require multiple systems, right? So now when you look at the profitability, okay, especially when you talk about this unit profitability, for, for that to work, what you need to have is you need to have your pricing as well as costing in the same system. If you don't have that, then obviously you are probably going to have a lot of challenges because of the disconnect that these systems are going to have. 
So I don't know if you're going to have any sort of insight there in keeping in. This is probably the most controversial conversation that we typically have with our customers. Okay. So my preference always is going to be, okay, keep it centralized. If you keep it centralized, it's going to be easy, but that doesn't work every time. Okay. So sometimes you need to keep inside your channels. Sometimes you need to keep inside your e-commerce. So maybe you can tell me your stories in terms of what you think when you are thinking about profitability. And if you were designing sort of the business processes as well as architecture, how would you approach these things? That is such an excellent set of insights, Sam, and a really good question. And essentially, I think you're right. If you, as a, let's say you're a brand or even a retailer that manufactures your own products, you have to understand the value of that product at retail in the market. You, you have to have a point of view. Understandably, if you're a brand, you don't set the retail price, your, your retailer does. But if you don't understand where your product fits and what it'll realistically sell for, yeah. whether it's on full retail price or on promotion, or if it's caught in a scraper and gets pulled down in price through an algorithm on a website, let's say like Amazon, then you can't work backwards and see your profitability. So that would be the first thing. I think that this idea of understanding what the actual retail price of your product is essential now. And I think that's something that historically brands just didn't take responsibility for. They just felt like, you know what, that's the retailer's jobs. They they legally can't tell the retailer what to price their goods at. But I think if you don't understand that, you can't work the economics backwards. So, so that would be first of all. Second of all, you mentioned data, right? Yeah. And where does that data live? What are the distant, different systems? And I think you bring up, such an exciting transition we're going through right now, which is really looking at our data as an asset and really looking at all the data we have and all these different systems and taking that data seriously enough to be able to at least make more informed estimations of what a item will be in terms of profitability all the way through the channel in each channel that you sell it to, whether it's you're selling it to a brick and mortar retailer or you're selling it online, or you're selling it on your own direct-to-consumer website. But it really starts with understanding that data now is not something that should be siloed in different departments and different systems across the company. All companies need to move towards centralizing their data and governing their data and really serving that data up to all stakeholders so that they can make better decisions along the way. Now, profitability, to your point, can be variable, right? Um, you have raw costs of materials. You have freight costs. For example, we had containers, you know, mushrooming up to $20,000 a container yeah. when maybe prior they were $5,000 a container. So how do you manage that as a manufacturer? Well, you have to have the systems and the data and the technology to be able to ingest that information. And you may or may not be able to influence overnight what the retail price is in the channel but you can at least start to understand the impact of that and what actions you need to take. Because sometimes it's raising your price, but you'll see right now, a lot of consumer products companies raise their prices significantly as they needed to in their minds in the last six months or nine months. But some are regretting it now because they're losing market share and their business is shrinking. So had they had more data kind of centralized, they could have made estimations to say, well, maybe we can weather this storm for nine months, take a cost increase, but not such a high cost increase that now we're not even competitive with our competition selling a similar product. Yeah, so some very interesting insights there. And I think in your commentary there, you have another layer. So when I offered my commentary, 
I was talking about more, let's say if you have just one company and you are managing the pricing inside the company, but you are, in your commentary, obviously the scenario is far more complicated where you are working with your retailers. So obviously your systems are probably not going to be centralized because this is a completely different legal company. And this is a completely different legal company from the from the manufacturing perspective, right? So let's say if you were to talk about this whole concept of centralizing the data, and I don't know how to centralize this when you are going to have multiple legal entities involved because you can only share so much information, uh, you know, with your partners. Otherwise, they probably will do your business, <laughs> you know. So let's say if you have your channel partners involved. So I don't know if you're going to have any sort of stories in terms of what is the best way of sharing data between your partners, because you not only require your own data, you require data from your your retailers, probably, because you need to know what the market is selling, because Unless you are selling DTC, and even if you are selling DTC, the insight that you are going to have from pricing perspective is probably going to be different. And then you also have the market data, right? That is completely different. So you have three different dimensions there. So when you look at the architecture, how would you sort of structure this overall, you know, to get the centralized insight that you're seeking? Yeah, it's, it's an excellent question. I think it's kind of the secret sauce for the companies that are doing well. So what yeah. they're doing is, they're taking their ERP data, right, yeah. which is theirs. So they know things like what it really costs them, whether they're even profitable on item. They pull in what they can from their retailers. And as you know, larger partners are starting to understand now that that data is valuable and they're selling it to you. Let's yeah. say like Walmart just launched a product where before you really couldn't get data at all. Well, now you can get it, but you got to pay for it. Then you've got partners like Amazon who have been you know, more generous in creating data sets over time. And then let's say you have partners like Target who they just have a hard time getting the data themselves. They can't even provide necessarily a lot of timely relevant data, but you pull that data in. And then the third leg of that stool, Sam, is what we call digital shelf analytics yeah. or scrape data. Yeah. I think that the, that's the piece of the formula that companies are, have been maybe investing in in the last five years and starting to pull in what we call digital shelf data where they go out and scrape and pull back what consumers are seeing because your teams can't possibly go and look at every one of their product listings, but every one of the retailers every day, there needs to be technology and automation. The problem is exactly what you said, Sam. They're not understanding the power of taking that scrape data, ingesting it into their own, let's say, data lake or data warehouse and marrying up against their own ERP data and, let's say, point of sale data that they were provided by the retailers in some case. And that's where they get the power of insight, right? What's happening is I think most companies in the last 10 years have been making these investments and getting these data sets, but they've been sitting siloed in separate areas of the company or separate systems. And so really the key to success is centralizing that data and creating some sort of governance, whether it's a data lake that's not as structured and then structuring it going into a data visualization tool or doing some sort of data warehouse. That is a long journey for companies, especially brands, because they've never done it. But the companies, for example, that I've worked for, where we've done that, we've been able to outsmart all of our competition because we, and then we can pull in user generated content too, right? Like reviews, ratings, everything. We can have a 360 degree view. And this really ties back to profitability and also demand forecasting of inventory. These are all things that are so fundamental to all of our success in, in, in our digital commerce and e-commerce sales, yet so many companies get this kind of wrong because they're like 75% of the way there. They're not getting 100% of the way there. To really use that data, you've got to put it into a centralized area to push it back out through 
a data visualization tool, let's say Click or Tableau or whatever it is, to really understand what insights are really there. Yeah. And then you can take action. What's happening now is there's lots of bits and pieces of information that give false flags. And it says, oh, wow, you know, we were down in sales last week. Oh, it must have been because our promotion didn't work. But really what it is, is our inventory feed didn't go through for two hours, right? But if you don't know that information, you don't have it. So I would say to answer your question, the unlock is really scrape data. I think that's data that, like I said, different parts of the organization have probably gotten their leadership to invest in it, but they haven't really learned how to ingest that data and mirror it up against their own data insets. In, you know, data sets to get better insights. Okay, amazing insights there. And right now, my assembly listeners who might be listening to this and they must be scratching their head that, okay, what the hell is going on here? Because, you know, I am struggling to get my e-commerce effort going because I don't even know how to sort of write content for my 10,000, 50,000 SKUs that I may have. <laughs> and I cannot even get to that. And now we are talking about this whole data warehouse. And I'll tell you one conversation from yesterday, the way these SMB customers think. For them, when they are looking at things like you mentioned demand planning, okay, that's a rocket science in general, because the amount of effort that you are talking about, the amount of data, the amount of insights that you need to feed in to be able to generate that golden number called safety stock, I guess, that drives pretty much everything, right? (laughs) Now, and and this is not just one customer that has uh, said this. I have heard this repetitively just because these guys don't have as much background in SNOP planning. They don't have as much background in inventory planning, not even finance, to be honest, okay? Because they are relatively small in general. So their perspective is going to be, I'm buying this ERP system, okay? And I have this field called safety stock. How about if I can put, let's say, three months worth of inventory for this particular SKU? I should be able to do that, right? So I should be able to configure this for every single SKU and my inventory should work automatically. So why are ERP systems or e-commerce systems making it so hard to have so many different numbers? So I don't know if you're going to have any sort of perspective there on this commentary uh, based on the SMB perspective, the way SMB likes to think about SNOP planning, demand planning the whole e-commerce journey? Well, my perspective on it, and I mean this respectfully because I know you are the ERP guru, is this is where, you know, in organizations I've run, we've had a middleware stack of software. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying go buy more, more, more. But what I mean by that is there are certain things that ERPs do and they do really well. Yep. And I would say from my perspective, not being as much of on the technical side as you, I think the key Step one, if you're a small business, is really be disciplined in governing the data as it goes into that ERP. And yeah. let me explain why. Because even if you don't have super sophisticated next stack of uh, software that sits on top of that information, at least if the data that you have in your ERP starts out governed in a way where it's attributed correctly and categorized correctly, you know, you don't have a futon in two different areas or you don't have sofas in two different areas, right? Like if you can kind of try and think about your information and your product information in a way, then if you're lucky enough to have, let's say, a PIM, a product information management system or other types of technology that lead to data reporting, like you're saying, you can at least start with clean data. Now, to to kind of answer your question about what do they do about things like inventory, safety stock, and so on, the, the simplest answer I can give them is, to forecast, let's say, a three-month safety stock, that's not a bad place to start. If that's something that your your company can digest and that's the amount of inventory you could afford to carry, that's okay. I think where they go wrong is 
they're looking at inventory back. They're looking at their historical sales in the back, looking yeah. backwards, and they're not looking at really what it could be in the future. And the way you would know that is to understand why you did the sales you did in the past. If everything were perfect and you sold X amount of units in the last three months, then you just add a layer of seasonality and then you can get to what a three-month safety stock will be. The reason they kept getting derailed with safety stock and all those things is because they're having a hard time, especially if they're selling on the digital shelf as well. They're getting kind of a false illusion of what they could sell because they're not looking at all the different variables like promotions, whether they were in stock, what their ship window lead time was, whether they got a bad rating that day. And yeah, that's a lot of information to digest. Understandably, you're a small company and you're moving very quickly. But I think you just need a mechanism where at least once a month, you're looking at your top 20% of your SKUs and you're really scrutinizing, okay, when we're going to look back at our sales, was that fully optimized or were we even lucky? Did all of a sudden one of our items get on slick deals or something that we can't repeat? Yeah. Um, you know, just, you know, and maybe you can't do all 100% of your SKUs. Like you said, they have thousands of SKUs, but just start with that 80-20 roll, those top 20% of your SKUs that are doing 80% of your revenue. And then consider software that sits on top of your ERP where you can pull your ERP data in to other data sets to make decisions. Yeah, so amazing insights there. So let's uh, pivot a little bit overall in the conversation, I guess. And and I want to make sure that we are touching on the points that you wanted to touch in the conversation. So one of the things that we had on our list is really the overall transforming the brick and mortar business model to your slightly more hybrid, which is going to have the e-commerce as well, right? So let's say if somebody's thinking about that, and that's a frightening journey, as you, I'm pretty sure you can relate with that. Yeah, you know, because obviously you have a risk here. This business is working, but now this has a, you have a new baby and that's a completely different mindset team, the way it is going to work. Overall, even from the system perspective, it's going to be a very different mindset in the way they are going to work. And even if you have like the fancier system, they typically struggle in providing that omni-channel experience. A lot of businesses are trying to get that. So in your experience, I'd say if you were transforming the brick and mortar business model to your hybrid business model, how would you approach that? I'd say the first thing you want to think about if you've got a big brick and mortar business, well, first of all, congratulations. That means you're placed in important stores, which is not easy to do because we know that stores have limited space. But I think what you need to think about first to expand your business and grow into e-commerce is that you have to defend your brick and mortar business. Now, what does that mean? Over, I think, 68% of all purchases in stores are influenced digitally. Yep. So this mindset that you're going to have a separate team doing e-commerce to grow your digital sales, that's so five years ago or 10 years ago. That's over. So if you haven't done it yet, the good news is you don't have to do that. What you need to start thinking about is that everything is digital. Your entire organization is now digital. And so you need to take your brick and mortar team and upskill them. And support them. Yes, there might be certain expertise that consultants like myself come in and identify that you need to add to the team. But you don't have to think of it in terms of, oh, I've got to replace the old team with the new team. Everything is going digital. And brick and mortar is going digital. So everybody needs to be upskilled in understanding what does that mean? And I would say in the simplest form, Sam, what brands can think about is they're no longer just going to be awesome at making these amazing products that they produce and and sell into the retail channel, they now need to make a digital representation of that product. Yep. And that's something that brands are really struggling 
wrapping their brain around. They think of it as a nice to have, or I'm going to have a separate e-commerce center of excellence, or I'm just going to hire a separate marketing team to make these digital assets over here. Just take a picture like it's a nice to have. And what we now need brands to start thinking of is if they want to grow beyond their brick and mortar, they have to defend their brick and mortar business. And in order to defend their brick and mortar business, their brick and mortar retailers expect them to have a digital version of that product. So when they internalize that and realize like, oh, I can't just have a product development team and my sourcing team and all these amazing experts in R&D creating great products. I also need a whole engine of people like graphic designers, photographers, copywriters who are creating the digital version of that. And yes, you're right, Sam. Some of that will be adding expertise and new people. But I think if the C-suite didn't think of it as such a threat and as a separate thing, and they realize now that that is as important as their physical product. And what do I mean by that? So if over 65% or let's say 68%, whatever the metric is today of brick and mortar sales are influenced by people looking online first to see what the ratings and reviews are, see the different prices and so on and so forth. If if that is, is, is so important, and you can't be found on the digital shelf, you don't exist. Exactly. You literally, your product doesn't exist. This is hard for brands to really swallow because let's say they're in 5,000 Walmart stores. That's super impressive. Yeah. But to protect their Walmart business, to be a good partner to Walmart, Walmart of the future, they have to be as committed as a brand to the digital representation of that product and being a partner with Walmart to push that all the way through to the digital shelf and get it all the way up to the first page, whether that's organic search or page search. Yep. If brands aren't making that their business, I hate to say five to 10 years from now, they may not be on the floor in those brick and mortar stores. Yeah, could not agree more. And I think there is one more layer to this conversation. And people, when they are thinking about these things, they are always thinking, you know what, if you're brick and mortar, then you need to probably have some sort of digital capabilities. But let's say if the, there are a lot of businesses that are pure digital, okay? They started as as e-commerce shop. So even for them, what they need to be thinking about is it's not going to be your digital versus brick or mortar, right? It's always going to be, okay, how can you merge these capabilities? And obviously, you need the systems, the data, the capabilities, the skills, as you correctly pointed out, to make sure these business models are going to be compliant with each other because obviously there's going to be a little cross-pollination there when you are going to be, let's say you are e-commerce business today and tomorrow you are opening an experience store. I don't know. Even if you are going to do that, you still have to look at all the fundamentals of your brick and mortar and you have to design your processes as well as system to be able to accommodate this scenario. So it's not going to be just one-way street that, okay, if you are a legacy business, then you need to go to e-commerce. It's always going to be the hybrid. And I think you use the term hybrid uh, as well in your conversation. So I don't know if you're going to have any sort of follow-up commentary there based on my commentary. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think Digital Luminary, my company, we don't even call ourselves e-commerce experts, even though we are. We call yeah. ourselves digital commerce experts. Exactly. And the reason why is we're trying to change the language because for for too long, people and brands and companies think of e-commerce as a separate team or the separate center of excellence in their organizations. And what we're realizing now is that actually is going to start having diminishing returns and working against you because you're not going to be able to amortize the investments and the technology and the workflows and the processes. And you're quite frankly, attributing your business incorrectly. 
So for example, if you're advertising on a platform like Amazon and they're standing in a Walmart store and they buy at Walmart, in your mind, that ad spend on Amazon wasn't as effective and profitable, but you don't actually know that that actually helped you get that Walmart store sale. Right. And so companies really need to unlock the way they think. And I'm not saying this is easy. I get it. There are sales reps and teams and how people are compensated and commissions. But these are all the things that the C-suite needs to start to reframe and rethink. And it should be a value to all these people in the organization who are compensated by their channel in these kind of siloed thinkings where they are kind of designed to compete with each other. I think what you're going to see in the future, Sam, is there has to be harmonization in these groups because there's no really easy way to tell whether being in a Walmart store helped an Amazon transaction happen or if being on a Target website helped different transaction happen. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's naive to think it's a one-to-one attribution and that's the old model and how most P&Ls and most CFOs have have structured their business. And I think it's time to rethink it. Exactly. Could not agree more. And there is going to be a lot of rethinking. In fact, let's take this conversation to the next level, which is probably going to be the next segment that you wanted to cover. Let's introduce the complexity of dropshipping here. Okay. So obviously now you are going from your brick and mortar to your e-commerce. And now when you introduce dropshipping and dropshipping space itself is evolving, there are a lot of different business models. And Daily, I am hearing a new scenario that they want to install. Yesterday, I heard a term called blind shipping. Okay. And blind shipping, not, uh, I would say from the concept perspective, you can probably relate with it that it's, it's not supposed to be as complex. But from the business process perspective, accommodating that, it's very hard because our systems, our processes are not really designed to accommodate these scenarios. So, for example, let's say blind shipping, the way it works is, let's say if I am the, the drop shipper, okay, and I am supplying for my customer, I am not supposed to be putting anything related to myself on, let's say, the packing slip. The customer is only going to know, okay, this customer is supplying. I'm only doing things in the back end. Now, this does not sound like a very complex concept from the transaction perspective, right? How hard could it be? But when you think from the system implementation perspective, from the business process perspective, the complexity is probably going to be tenfold in implementing that because you require your processes, you require your data, you require your systems to be aligned. Now, in dropshipping, there are many different layers. So blind shipping is just one, right? Then you are going to have, sometimes you are shipping for your customer, sometimes you are hiring a dropshipper. So overall, planning around dropshipping is going to be very complex. So I don't know if you're going to have any sort of story, any any insight in terms of how to think about dropshipping business, especially when you have such hybrid business model here that you are trying to transform. Sure. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts around dropshipping. So let's just start with you're a leader in a company and you, let's say, have never dropshipped to the end yep. consumer. Why would you Why would you even consider this? This seems exactly. like such a headache, such a nightmare. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's just start with our previous conversation. Let's just start with step one. Step yeah. one, I sell my products into the omni-channel retailers and they they take it at the port in China. Yeah. They ship it. They do it. My hands are clear. Why would I even consider it? Well, we just went over how do you grow, right? Yeah. The way you grow is you need to be profitable enough to be able to invest in the future capabilities. And one of those future capabilities is dropshipping. So step one is dropshipping is a defensible strategy. Why? Because let's just start with just your current omni-channel retailer business. These retailers are mostly publicly traded companies. They may have very large warehouse systems, but in order for them to continue to post growth, 
quarter after quarter, year after year, they never will ever be able to possibly put every single piece of inventory that they sell in their warehouse system. So if you want to be a good partner, let's just start with, I want to be a good partner to Costco, or I want to be a good partner to Walmart. To do that, you need to invest in some dropship capabilities just to back up what they're doing, right? And so a lot of brands are like, whoa, whoa, what does that mean? It means like, I don't know. I was a buyer for decades. I came from retail. And when I was a buyer, guess who the partners are I leaned into? I leaned into retail uh, brand partners that made me look good and made my job easier. And you, you, we've seen some big shifts, Sam, in just the last couple of years where big retailers are merging their brick and mortar buyers and their e-commerce buyers. How does that tie to dropship? Because what that does is these retailers are more and more becoming marketing platforms. They're driving traffic and they're driving conversion and they're driving loyalty and they're responsible for getting the product to the end consumer, right? These are all really big responsibilities that these big brands have. Well, the main way they drive traffic is by having a breadth of assortment. And for order them to have a breadth of assortment, they physically can't fit those all in their stores. So they can do uh, the items they have in stores, they can put those aligned. They can have extra colors or color finishes or different kind of ex- variants of existing yeah. products they have in their store. And then they can even test whole new categories online that they never intended to carry in their store. Well, what does that mean to you as a brand? If you want to grow with those Omni partners over time, you need to have that capability. So that's one example. So let's just say you're another brand and you don't sell into big Omni retailers. That's not your thing. Yeah, that's not important to you. You still will need dropship capabilities if you ever want to be a third-party marketplace seller, or if you want to enable shipping from your own direct-to-consumer website. So I would just see dropshipping as more and more a strategic capability that all brands need to have. Now, how do you get there? You really have to crawl, walk, run. And what does that mean? A lot of brands think like, oh, I got to, you know, open up this little area in the back of my office area and start shipping out packages and da, da, da. Well, that maybe could work for you. But this is where I think we've seen the 3PL marketplace really, you know, finally actually start to evolve. Yeah. I mean, it's been very recent, right? But you may want to start, I'm not saying you should, but instead of doing 1PL, which is own your own warehouse and ship and set up all the systems to do that, or a 2PL where you run all the systems inside the four walls, but you don't physically own the building or 3PL where you are working with a third party logistics partner that manages it. My inclination would be to at least explore some of these newer three third party logistics companies, right? Where they're not doing the modeling the way they used to, which ends up being super expensive for you. Yeah. You know, there's new companies like Stanvast out there, which are ex Amazon people who are, trying to price it more like AWS where you only pay for what you need. I think you just need to go out and really make it your business to really find out who are the cutting edge partners out there that can help you crawl and at least start to test drop shipping. You don't have to all of a sudden overnight drop ship your whole catalog. You know, start with the obvious top sellers or where you think you can have strategic advantage to back up your current business or yeah. to expand your business. Start there get all the integrations done. A lot of these new 3PLs have services that didn't exist before where they really help you with setting up the EDI, things that used to be incredibly painful and time-consuming and expensive to do. 
I think there's a lot of innovation in this space. And I think it's definitely worthwhile being connected to some of those people and, and trying that out. And then over time, as you build your business, it'll become self-evident if it's something that you should take on yourself. Yeah, could not agree more. And I really like the idea about the 3PL marketplaces as well as the 3PL from the fulfillment side. And a lot of companies are already taking advantage of that, depending upon how new they are. The modern ones, at least, they try to work with them in the areas where they might not have coverage. The layer that you had mentioned about merging this whole e-commerce buyer as well as your traditional buyer, okay? There's a little challenge there in, in that, okay? So typically from my experience, what I have seen is when you look at the way the merchandising works for your traditional store replenishment versus how it works for your e-commerce, slightly different, different skill set, different, and even the systems are very different the way they work, to be honest. Okay. So sometimes it will be very challenging. So from the process perspective, from the team perspective, even if you are able to accomplish that, it could be very challenging to, to have them work in one system. Even if you have that, no one is going to be happy about it because they are very used to working in that traditional merchandising system that was very compliant to your store experience. Now, let's take one more example here in terms of another layer. So we were talking about drop shipping, right? So drop shipping is actually happening in your store as well, okay? And and that's the most powerful aspect of this whole unified commerce when you think of unified commerce, right? So when you are going to be drop shipping, obviously your POS layer is completely disconnected from your e-com system. There are not many businesses that have the real, real, real integration, right? So when you are going to do that, then now you need the complete integration, not just from the system perspective, obviously, people as well as process perspective. So I don't know if you have any other commentary there based on what I just offered. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're talking about, Sam, is pretty complex. And I do think it'll take time. And I think we all wish we could wave our magic wand and tomorrow have visibility to all of our inventory everywhere. But I think, again, this kind of is a mindset. How do we test and learn? So, for example, you're talking about, let's say, I'm a retailer, for example, where it's merged, even retailers may want to consider, believe it or not, 3PLs for certain parts of their business yeah. or partners. For start. So I think we need to be more creative. I think we need to say it isn't one size fits all, right? So maybe I am a big retailer and I have my own warehouses where I've been shipping to store for years. And in the last five years, I now know how to ship eaches. But at the end of the day, I just simply don't have enough locations to get my product to end consumer fast enough. Yes, that's risky. You don't want to distribute too much of your inventory across too many places because the likelihood is you don't have the right inventory in the right exactly. place at the right time. Yeah. But I think you have to learn, right? You got to start with your highest velocity items, yep. test out certain partners, and maybe see if they can take some of that burden off of you. Because to your point, if it's going to need a different system anyway, that partner might have the technologies that can easily kind of plug in and just take it from there and get that product to the end consumer quickly. Because we know that even though we as companies are having a hard time getting all these systems in place, the customer's been been expecting two-day free shipping for 10 years, yeah, right? Like yeah. that hasn't changed. And, it, and so like they're already there. So I think you're going to have to, as a company, think creatively, whether you're a retailer, like the example we just gave, or even if you're a brand, right? Like maybe let's say you're doing third-party uh, marketplace selling and maybe there is a subset of items that you put in FBA, not all of them, but just yep. some, just to get that velocity covered. Because I think, you know, you just have to go where the money is and where the opportunity is. And you just don't really have a choice when it comes to drop shipping to not perform. Really, you really don't. Like, I think what CFOs and 
heads of, you know, COOs, heads of companies need to understand is that this delivery piece at the end consumer is a non-negotiable. Yep. It has to be done quickly and it, it has to come in good shape, not damaged. And so you may have a little bit of a patchwork solution for that. Yeah. And you may have certain businesses in your own warehouses, certain categories, certain products, and you may decide to put certain categories temporarily in a 3PL who could take that pressure off or who can deliver at the yep. higher standard of that particular retailer. And so I think, again, it's companies opening their minds to being more collaborative, whether it's collaborative internally across their teams or whether it's collaborative across different partners. And it sounds like it's expensive, but what's more expensive is to actually not deliver on the promise because the way the digital shelf works is you will get pushed down in organic search and you will lose so much money that you can't see yep. by not being on page one. So you kind of have to start with, okay, these are the outputs we have to have. And so maybe the inputs may look different for different categories of your business or different brands within your business and just monitor them very closely. Yeah. Could not agree more. So that's it for today. Do you have any last minute closing thoughts or advice for our listeners by any chance, Kathy? Yeah, I would just say my advice would be, you know, I work a lot with aligning the C-suite, with the board, with the executive team. And I really am going to say something you've all heard a million times, but I really want to leave you with this. Yeah. Working in silos isn't going to work anymore. Whether it's, you know your KPIs and how people are reviewed or compensated or even just that kind of that what we used to consider friendly competition in our four walls of our company. Yeah. I think in the digital world because data is such an important asset now exactly. and and having that data be pushed up to different executives across the organization based on what they're responsible for is so critical. Companies really need to take a hard look at their mindset and they really need to rethink how they're structured how people are inspired and motivated and compensated. And I think if they're willing to come to the table together, I think these companies are so talented, they should be able to be wildly successful. But it does start with mindset. Yeah, so companies do take a hard look. It is needed. You need to break your silos. And that's going to be my personal takeaway as well. On that note, Kathy, I want to thank you for your time. This has been a powerful episode. Thank you so much, Sam. I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you once again. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing the knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you'd like to learn more about Kathy, head over to digitalluminary.com. It's D-I-G-I-T-A-L-L-U-M-I-N-A-R-Y.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Jacqueline Laufer, who shares her insights into the Shopify pause and the challenges associated with international payments. Also, the interview with Colin Cronin, who shares his insights into the evolution of B2B digital e-commerce capabilities for a global medical device manufacturer. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.